0: Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. At this point, I invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to be following in suit with the series that we've been in of stories along the way, except now it's changed again where Jesus is telling stories along the way from Jerusalem. I'm going to be reading verses 13 through 34, uh, but we're going to be focusing primarily on the verses 30 and 31. And I think it's, it's worth noting um, the whole passage that we're looking at here is one big story that is one of the best crafted stories throughout the Gospel of Luke. And, and it's full of deep insights for what who Jesus is and what the resurrection means. So, In Acts, Luke reveals that Jesus showed himself to many other different people in many other different times, but he chooses these three occasions in Luke, uh, this being one of them, to speak of who the resurrected Christ is. And this invites us, or and I want to invite us into reading this passage throughout the rest of the week. Just to take some time out of your day to read Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 34 on your own and to hear what God may have to say to us. I'm going to make sure my Apple TV is working here. Does it work? Are we working here? We're on? Okay. So here are some of the questions. First, why does Luke choose this story? Second, what aspects of this story stand out to you? Um, As you read this passage, just to reflect, is there something particular? And it can change from day to day. And lastly, could God be speaking anything to you through those passages? So the things that stand out to you, you're invited to come before God in prayer and to ask, is there anything about this that you are teaching me? With that in mind, let's come to the passage itself and read it together here. Luke 24, verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, and some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two of them told what happened along the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite videos uh, that I've come across in the past year uh, comes from a show called What Would Your Kid Do? Uh, It features, uh, it's kind of a game show where they have a kid that has to choose between two different options that, at least to the kid, are equal in their eyes. The particular one that caught my attention uh, the child was offered these two things. The first, We have this trip to Dubai, Uh, so we got some uh, bags there to symbolize this fantastic vacation. And the other option was a stuffed giraffe. Now for the girl, the choice was obvious. She saw the giraffe in the room, they took it out, they let her hold it a little bit. What was there and in front of her, the, the trip to Dubai didn't really have a choice. Or didn't have a chance. And, and the parents... So one of the painful parts about the show is the parents are in a separate room watching this happen live. And the, the video would pan back to them and they're just trying to will the child to choose the right thing. You see here, there's another picture of our giraffe. And it wasn't even... Uh, like it, it, it was broken. Like she, When she carried it, the, the neck would kind of flop around a little bit. But the fact that it was broken didn't deter her. The the host even gave a rich description of what a vacation to Dubai would have with the the beaches. There was a, a ski slope, an indoor ski slope that was there, a water park, a theme park, Legoland. Legoland kind of got her attention. But the draft was there, and the choice had already been made. Nothing would deter her from that choice. And this is a little bit how I see uh, Cleopas and the the other disciples or or any of the followers of Jesus around this time. They were focused on a very specific vision of salvation that they had hoped for. They, They had narrowed in their eyes on what they wanted to see, and that prevented them from seeing this bigger invitation that God was offering for them. We see this a little bit in our passage right here, particularly in verse 21. When they're sharing about Jesus and their hopes, they say that we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And particularly, that hope of redeeming Israel was there. Their hope was situated in that one spot that, that whatever this Messiah figure was, it was going to help Israel as a nation to be redeemed. They were so focused on what they thought salvation looked like that they didn't recognize the good thing that was being offered before them. They were focused on Israel becoming a nation again, and this prevented them from seeing what was coming. They, they, they just wanted the conditions to be right for God to be filling his temple again. So one of the major aspects of the culture at this time, I've mentioned this before in the last couple of sermons, so if you've been following along, um, you know a little bit about Second Temple history, but if you're joining us for the first time, I'm going to give a quick recap. And for those of you that's heard this already, uh, repetition's good for learning. Uh, so this time is called the Second Temple period. And it's called the second temple because it's not the first one anymore. The first one was destroyed, and they built a second one. And the second one was never quite completed because the completion of the temple is God residing in it. And they needed God's presence in that temple so that they could then be a blessing to bring the light of that temple to the rest of the world. Now, the whole of Israel could be kind of divided based off of what they thought the conditions needed to be for God to come back to the temple. So we got a group like the Zealots. Uh, The the Zealots are a group of people that thought, we just need to get rid of all the bad people. God will come back if we just get rid of the Romans. So they would start these uh, violent revolts and and try to push through violence uh, all these bad people away so that God would then come back to the temple. Then we had another group uh, called the Sadducees. The Sadducees were people that were basically saying, God will come back in his own time, so we should make things about as comfortable as we can for us. Uh, Let's make friends with the Romans. So the Sadducees weren't really popular with the other Jewish groups. Then we got the Pharisees that thought, God will come back if we remain ritually pure. If we follow all the right rules, then God will come back to his temple. All of these different groups were divided, but they were united in this one idea that they needed God to return. They needed that direct relationship with God. And their focus on when God would come again was centered in on God coming to redeem just the nation of Israel here. They they ended up thinking small in this instance. To me, it's a little bit like the giraffe, all over again. They value only what they can see right in front of them. The biggest thing that they can see is, is the Roman oppression. It's the this, this most immediate thing sitting right in front of them. And they would look into their Bibles and they would read back to times of, of the King David. And they thought, maybe, maybe that's what's missing. Maybe that's what's missing. We just need to find someone to rule like this king. And this stops them from seeing this bigger salvation when it is offered. Now, if, if you've been part of Living Hope for this past year, this is a point that's been made several times. But I think it's worth just taking taking a quick stop to look at it again. Salvation comes differently than how the people expect. And my fear is sometimes we do something similar, that we kind of take that giraffe instead of the vacation, that that we see a little glimpse of something good about what God's salvation promises, but this prevents us from looking deeper into the precious thing that God gives in his salvation. Uh, There's a lot in our passage today that we can look at, but I want to focus in on Verses 30 to 31. Here, Luke reports, When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. In light of that line, I want you to think back to the first meal of the Bible, the first time where we have people taking food. Are there any guesses, maybe at home, to where this could be? It's a story that we all know. It's one that we're likely quite familiar with. It's the story of Genesis chapter 3. It goes like this. The woman took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave it to her husband, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew That they were naked. Here, there's a similarity in the two stories. Luke is intentionally appealing back to the story of Genesis, he's giving an insight to how big Jesus' salvation is. The parallels sit in there, where we have someone taking the food and distributing it amongst each other. And then on the taking of the food, there's the opening of the eyes. And in the story of Genesis, the opening of the eyes is the opening of the eyes to their shame. This is a story that people told over and over. This is how death entered into the world. It's from this time that we have decay and sorrow and death entering into creation. The the taking of the bread or the taking of the fruit is something that they did as, as an act of disobedience and this separated them from the presence of God. This was something that brought them shame where they no longer felt that they could come before God and the rest of the story is all about God bringing his rescue back to these people, bringing that relationship back. So here, in the Gospel of Luke, we have Jesus doing the first act of new creation. So we look at the resurrection as this first act of new creation. God is doing something new within his creation. And the first meal of new creation mirrors the first meal of creation. Except... The opposite happens in it. Instead of people taking something in disobedience, Jesus gives out these uh, gives out the bread as an act of generosity and of hospitality. And the same thing happens. Their eyes are opened, but here, rather than being opened to death and to shame, they are opened to the one who is the answer to death and shame and sin to the resurrected Jesus Christ. Luke is very intentional here in how he phrases it. The eating of food followed by the opening of eyes, he's pointing back to Genesis for a reason. What could this reason be? Why is he going all the way back to Genesis? He wants to let the people know how big God's salvation is. It's such a big deal that you don't just go back to the prophets, you don't just go back to the kings, you don't just go back to Abraham. You go all the way back to the first story, the story that's at the root of it all, where the opening of their eyes in the first occasion marred people from seeing God and being with God's full presence in the garden the opening of the eyes in the second occasion is seeing God right there. And notice that this also solves a bit of that riddle of the temple that we've been following. Jesus is fulfilling the role of the temple here, the place where heaven and earth meet. He is God living amongst his people. And this connection between the temple and the cross helps shed light on some of the passages preceding this in Luke. One of them being in Luke chapter 23, where Jesus is on the cross, and at the moment of his death, we have the curtain torn in two, signifying there is no need of separation between the people and the most holy space. Now we have Jesus opening their eyes to see him as the resurrected Lord. No more separation from God and no more shame. And that's a big deal. Uh, this, this idea uh, even works its way into the other Gospels. Uh, this sense where uh, in Matthew 27, the, the people insulting Jesus say to save themselves. Uh, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Uh, they, they were fixating on, on the wrong sort of temple. They, they thought that it was something narrow and about them, but Jesus was doing something so much bigger here. They were looking in the wrong place. Jesus is not simply correcting the poor leadership style of Israel. He was not just a kingly figure. He is not the one that brings God's presence back to the temple as they were hoping. Jesus is the new temple himself. Jesus is the one that brings the return to the state before the fall where we could come before God without shame. I want to have two reflections here before we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. First, this means that Jesus' resurrection life is offered to all. The writers of the New Testament went back to the images of Jesus being the second Adam or the last Adam to bring across this point. Romans 5 is a passage that spells it out most clearly. As Paul sums it up, his argument, he states this. Just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in the justification and life for all. For just as through disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will become righteous." Paul points back to that same point. Jesus brings the answer to the fall. Through Jesus, we are made righteous before God. Through Jesus, we are justified. And notice that it says that that all are justified in here. That all who come before Jesus have that gift of grace and justification to be able to come before God Uh, We believe that Jesus' work on the cross was more than enough to pay for the entirety of the sins of the whole world. This invitation stands before you to place your trust in Jesus who has already defeated death. And we know that we can approach God from any of our spaces. Like, if, if we are experiencing shame, and that is something that prevents us from coming before God, I want to remember the practice that we did the other day, where, where we came before the cross, and we were invited to place a flower in that cross. And the invitation that came alongside that was to take our burdens, to take our shame, to take whatever we are holding with us, and to place that before the cross. Because the cross is what what solves the shame. We approach God without shame, with our eyes wide to Christ. Second, we are invited to participate in that resurrection joy. Here's how the rest of the story goes. We have a promise that one day Jesus will return and make all things new. He will return and bring a full and final renewal of all things. The time that we are in right now is this in-between time. And here we are called to be the presence of God through the Spirit working in us. The image here is that we are like little temples, bringing a piece of this new creation wherever we go. We are called to be agents of new creation. No need for a formal temple, but God's presence dwelling once again with his people. Each person has become a place through which God can bring his light into the world. And we're to take this light into the darkest of spaces. Places where the effects of sin and evil are present. And I like how it was put in the baptism earlier today that we are called to resist sin and evil. This not only acknowledges that sin and evil are real, but it also acknowledges our stance. How we respond to it. We act in resistance. We are to alleviate suffering when we see it. Through God's work in us, we are those who defy darkness. We bring light and beauty in the places where it's least expected. Uh, Like the flowering of the cross. Uh, We take an image of death and destruction and make it an instrument of beauty. We are to go out into the world and see where God is calling us to resist the forces of evil and decay and bring signs of new life into the world. And where does this sign of new life come from? Where do we get the strength to do it? It's all through Jesus. The answer is Jesus in the flesh. It's not some idea that they need to understand. It's Jesus right in front of them. They had heard the stories, but it's this personal encounter with Jesus that sends them running back to Jerusalem to tell the others. Jesus is, who is made known in the word. Earlier in the story, Jesus opens up the scriptures and reveals that throughout scriptures, Jesus is the one that all these promises point towards. And as Jesus is revealing this to them, their hearts were burning. They they, they became more alive people as Jesus was being revealed to them, My encouragement is that you open God's word to spend time in the passage with openness that Jesus may have something to say to you, that you can encounter the living God through his word. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.